Just one game this week. The 3-3 draw in North Wales. Paul Gregory thought they let us panic in the second half. He'd have taken a point before the game, but that was a sickener. Rob Murray agreed. Absolute panic. It looked like we had 10 men in the second half. We must learn how to manage a game out. Ben Benson saw a mixture of knowing what to do, but doing it badly with a measure of panic thrown in. It cost us two points. Still a work in progress. Julie Warren listened, but didn't go. She was disappointed not to hang on, but would have taken a draw before the game. Keith says poor game management at the end invited pressure as normal. Asking, where was the keeper for the last one? Colin Higginson was gutted we weren't able to hold on to the win, but adds, if that team is what millions can buy you, you can keep it. Joe describes it as chaos, adding the red stoked them up and we didn't calm down the game enough. Eddie O'Grady was annoyed by the fact they score so freely with 10 men and felt the substitutions were far too defensive. Daz agrees, poor subs nearly cost us last week and poor subs did cost us this week. What has Roe done wrong? Adam agreeing, the sub should have been done sooner as we played to their tune second half. David Royal says they bring on an ex-international off the bench and we bring on a first-year pro. I know which team I'd rather support. Richard Sandland thought we needed a fourth goal to kill them off. Hugely disappointing not to hang on for all three points. We played our part in a hugely entertaining game. Jonathan Ditt thought that the first 25 minutes was as good as we'd been all season. A thoroughly enjoyable match. Kev O'Connell says we can't be too disappointed with that. A draw away in difficult conditions to a side that is bringing internationals off the bench. A testimony to how far we've come. Trevor Griffiths thought we played excellently in the first half and then forgot what we did well to let Wrexham play in our final third. James agreeing. Wrexham deserved a point with how poor we were second half. He would have pulled CBR off and added a body into midfield. Andrew Napper thought crew were superb for 40 minutes, especially Rio and Tabiner, but added two or three will be disappointed with their contribution. Andy O'Neill thinks overall it's a good start to the season after 10 games, adding Rio, Long and Mickey, excellent, but Keeper should have been doing better for their second and third. Danny Phillips thought Rio was brilliant, but also criticises the Keeper. He adds that he wanted us to target McLean more to test his temper. Roger Wakefield said Davis knew he was at fault as he walked off at the end, didn't clap the fans or talk to any players. Steve Bennett is gutted. He thought it would have been three points if we had Arthur in our goal. Mark Ayers didn't expect to see us three points off top spot after 10 games. Adam Turner sums up, we were 7-1 to one odds wise, away at a side who fielded James McLean and sub Stephen Fletcher. They had our best player from last season playing for them and the best striker in the league yet they're the ones celebrating a point. Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Railway Men podcast to help us talk through Saturday's game at Wrexham. Today, I am joined by a pod panel, the best that Disney money can buy. They are Aaron Lewis. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Mark Bertels. Hello, Mark. Hello, everybody. And Tim Robinson. Hello, Tim. Hi, guys. Hi, Stu. Um, does this mean we're getting paid for this episode or...? 
yeah disney disney money all of that stuff excellent happy days i look forward to getting that check post right i'm gonna start guys with uh it's sunday morning um you were all there yesterday how are we feeling do we have enough voice left to record a podcast today just about yeah just about hanging in there yeah i was um i was a little bit surprised i have to say yesterday people that know me and know listen to this podcast regularly will know that my number one rivalry is a team not very far away in Staffordshire. I'm sure they're listening. Hi. Um, but I was quite taken aback at the atmosphere yesterday and the build-up to it of how much um, the rivalry seems to have lasted while they've not been playing as I think it's 15 years they've been away. Um, but it was like it was reawoken yesterday. I was, uh, I was surprised at the intensity of the crowd and the atmosphere and the way the goals were celebrated. So um, it's maybe a rivalry that's about to wake up again. Uh, I think I agree with that, Mark. Um, I made the comment last week that it didn't really feel like m- as big a rivalry to me um, as it did to others. Obviously, Steve Hatton wrote a piece that came out on the website on Thursday about why it did matter to him. And to be honest, I think it was Adam Turner that commented underneath and said it splits you between under 45s and post 45s as to whether Wrexham means as much to you as Vale. And uh, to be honest, it was just, that's just a way of me showing off that for once I'm in the, uh, the lower age bracket, which doesn't happen too often these days, but um, did you enjoy your day, day out in uh, North Wales, Tim? First time for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I went to the pre-season friendly a couple of years back, so I had been there before, <laughs> um, but it is an absolute dump. The, the stand that the away fans are in, it's it's like something out of the 1980s. It's uh, you know, horrible brick turnstiles. You're covered in cages as you, you're going through the sort of concourse area. Um, getting in and out of the stands is a nightmare because it's really little narrow, you know, lanes, aisles through the stand. Um, God help everyone if anyone ever needs to get out of there in a hurry because, um, yeah, it took about 15 minutes to get out of the stand after the game. And then about another 45 minutes to get out of the car park as well. But that's another matter. Um, yeah, it was decent. I mean, it, look, it's it's great. This is, I think it's the third time I've been to an away game this season where we've had a cracking, you know, decent, we've travelled in decent numbers. It's a long time since we've uh, been a team that's sold out away followings. And that's twice already this season. Plus we took 600 odds to Wimbledon last week. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm enjoying all of our games this season. Um, great entertainment. But, um, yeah, it's an absolute dump. Let's hope the Disney money can sort out that stand for him. It's a really bizarre sort of way that it was set up as well. I mean, like I say, it must be sort of going back. Obviously, it's going back years. But the obviously, I sort of came down after the game with you, you guys, and then you split off to go to the car park, and I was going towards the train station. And the train station basically just led you straight into all of the home fans as well. And, like, obviously, down, it was, wasn't... Uh, there was almost more police than there was of anybody else there, to be fair, yesterday. And I've never got away from a ground quicker because they held up the train that they put on. It was, you you, you were out of there, like, you, you wouldn't believe. But, um, yeah, it was just a really bizarre kind of being fed straight back into the flow of the where all the home fans were coming away as well, which kind of felt a bit odd. Tim and I, well, I commented to Tim, actually, as we were waiting to get into the, um, the turnstiles, that... It was ridiculous, for me anyway, it was ridiculously over-policed. I mean, I said to Tim, it's not like Celtic Rangers, but you would have thought it was. Um, I'm not quite sure what they were expecting. I know it's been a few years and there was a bit of a rivalry before um, and there is a rivalry that exists, but I mean, the policing was on another level. 
you reckon we're going to be the police episode of season three? Is that what you're uh, anticipating, Mark? Possibly. Yeah, honestly, Steve, you should have seen it. There was more police than fans. I am up to date with the documentary. Like episode five, I think, came out this week, and they have run out of ideas. Like the first season was quite interesting, and I enjoyed it because my wife doesn't really like football, so she didn't know how that season ended. So when we got to the last episode, she was like, oh, so they didn't get promoted? And I'm sat there, gleeful as anything, watching <laughs> that last episode. Uh, this season, it's not as interesting because the story's been told and you know how it's going to end. Um, Aaron, let's get to matters on the pitch. I thought the start of that game was the best I've seen crew start a game for a long time yesterday. Yeah, it was... Uh, we were we were electric, really. I thought we passed it around really well um, and they looked... I, I, maybe, like, um, my friend who I went with yesterday, we kind of brought up the fact that maybe they were a little bit still on the back foot from the shellacking that they got last week. Um, and they were still a little bit on the heels from that. Uh, but that first 25, 30 minutes, we were just absolutely bossing it. And I, it, my typical sort of crew fandom then kicks in. And I was like, we need to get a goal. We need to get a goal. Because if we don't score, all of this is for nothing. All of this... You know, they're def- I, I knew Heart of Hearts, well, easy to say now, but I knew that they were going to score at some point. And I thought if we don't get at least one out of this first, you know, excellent spell that we've got, we're going to be in trouble. But I mean, fortunately, we, we uh, did manage to get one then shortly out thereafter. I don't know what you thought, but there looked to me that like there was a very clear and deliberate plan to not press Wrexham. We were quite happy to let, let them have the ball. Um, and say, come on then, let's see what you've got. And then I think the idea was for us to win the ball and then pick them off um, and try and get particularly Tracy in. Um, I don't know if you noticed, kept swapping sides. He was going up against both fullbacks. And I think that was the target to try and get him in behind. Um, so, it, you know, again, I'm going to credit the manager. I think the tactics were spot on and the way we started was spot on. It was, um, like you say, I think that's probably as well as we've started a game this season. I don't think they touched it in RR for the first 15 minutes. Um, and I agree with Mark. We weren't pressing him. We were sitting off, except when any of their players received the ball and they were facing their own goal or they were facing side on. And then we all went together. And I think it was that control and that discipline and that, you know, the fact that we were sort of sticking to a, a, what was obviously a, a sort of a thought out plan before. It was. It was so impressive because, you know, you look think back at the last couple of years and we haven't seemed to have any plan. And then me and Mark were talking about it. It reminded us of um, when we went to Rotherham a couple of years ago and they, I think they won the champion, the, the, they won the title that season in League One. Um, and they did a very, very similar thing to us where they, they sat off us. They knew exactly what patterns of play we used and what passes we were going to make from certain areas of the pitch. And they just waited for us to do it and then set traps and, and took it off us. And we were doing that to Wrexham. Yeah. And I just think it's it's so impressive to see how Lee Bell has, has got that into his team. And he, he's got the team believing in it. We've got a system, we've got a shape, we've got a, a plan, we've got discipline. And it's really, really good to see. And I thought in possession, it reminded me a lot of the first hour at Port Vale in that we were quite compact and then using the wing back on the other side as the sort of out ball, the switch ball. Um, and I, I just thought we we used the space on the pitch brilliantly well. 
Okay, let's stick with the positives then, because obviously there are some negatives to come in this chat. Um, the first goal, Mark, you guys were sort of behind the corner taker in that corner of the stand. I was looking at it from across the pitch. Uh, it looked so obvious and so easy what was about to happen and then what did happen when Mickey lined up behind Zach and just sort of spun off him. Um, as I was uh, celebrating... I was hugging Tim and just screaming what an effing goal over and over again. It was superb. I mean, you know, the, the delivery from Tavener we've come to expect um, was superb again. I love how we mixed them up. Tim made that point. I'm not going to steal his thunder. Um, but sometimes we went near post, sometimes we went back post. The delivery was fantastic. Um, it was hard to believe that he was so free, um, given the size of him. But, you know, what? what's Arthur? Was he six foot? Four, six foot five, I can't remember. You know, and the, the head is in the net before his arm went up. Um, brilliant delivery, brilliant connection, absolutely superb goal, and something that we're not known for. And I'd love to see us do more, you know, uh, scoring direct from a corner, a bullet header. Brilliant start, and absolutely at that point deserved. Yeah, just to, just to kind of expand on that a little bit, we tried that same corner twice already. Uh, that front post corner, and then and then we did we switched it up to a back post one before the going back again for a front post one. But what I'd encourage everyone to look at on that goal is if you look at CBR, uh, Zach Williams and Connor Arredon, the three of them act like blockers, and it it enables uh, Mickey D to make that front post run. I mean, he times the run perfectly. The ball's absolutely perfect, but it's. It's the work that the other three guys do to interrupt the marking that makes the goal. It allows him to get free. It just gives him a couple of yards on the guy who's trying to mark him and it enables him to be first on that ball. Um, but it still it still relies on a, a pinpoint cross and a, and a great header. And it, and it got both absolutely superb. They'll, they'll have worked on that on the training ground for hours. That, that goal. It was a corner, wasn't it? Previous, and I said to you, what's happened here? Because I think it was CBR and Jack Powell were facing the wrong way. They were facing away from the corner taker. Um, and then they both, at the last minute, spun and ran to the front post and the ball went to the back post. So you're right, it's something that we've obviously been working on. And I think um, previously, uh, Kenny Lunt's been credited with the work that we do on set plays. So uh, big nod to him. Yeah, a couple of points on what you guys have just been saying there. Mark, you said that we're not really known for a set-piece team. I think this year we're seeing the change in that. I think, you know, we scored a lot of goals from throw-ins, corners, free kicks. And I think that has to go down to the member of the coaching staff that scored a lot of goals from his corners and from his free kicks when he was playing 20-odd years ago. Uh, and Tim, the other thing you picked up there about the players acting like blockers, if you look at Zach Williams in particular, I know you just mentioned him and O'Reardon and CBR, he looks like he's playing NFL. He's got his head on a swivel. He's got his hands up. He's looking to block someone to protect the quarterback. That's essentially what Zach Williams is doing there. Um, there's a couple of times Zach Williams was indirectly involved in goals yesterday. The, the second one I will come to later, but that's the first one. Absolutely, yeah. Lovely stuff. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Next, Aaron, I'm going to come to the red card. Now, from where I'm sat, which you know is admittedly 3,500 miles away, it looked like the sort of thing that, 40 years ago isn't really given as a free kick. 20 years ago, it's sort of seen as maybe a free kick, maybe a yellow. But in today's game, his studs are up. There's no malice. He's not gone in to hurt Shiloh Tracy, but his studs are up. It's hit the ankle. Um, the referee in today's language would say there's no control. Therefore, it's a red card. That's how I saw it. I don't know if that's how, what you saw as well. 
Um, tough one, really, because that particular area of the pitch, I had a rather tall gentleman stood right in front of me. So my view was not the best for the actual uh, foul um, itself, but kind of I saw the, the two coming together and I didn't really see exactly the contact, I should say. Um, and then well, I originally I listened to Lee Bell's comments on it uh, after the game last night and then I've watched the highlights again and I agree entirely with pretty much what you've said there it's one of them they've, they've come together but as you can see he's got his studs up he's gone in sort of he's probably slightly over ankle high it's it's not malicious it seems like he slipped and you know that easily done with how wet it was yesterday as well um but I, I know it seemed like a lot of uh Wrexham fans seem pretty aggrieved but I think if they watch it back and they you know take the bias off or anything like that then it's it's a red card all day. At my first thought um, was that we'd seen the last of Charlotte Tracy for the season. I thought that he'd perhaps done his cruciate because he's, it looked from where I was that his knee had bent the wrong way. He screamed straight away and I winced and thought, oh God, and he stayed down for quite some time. Um, so that was the first fear. Um, but I've seen some stills of it since. And I mean, Phil Parkinson says he's going to appeal it. Good luck with that. It's a red card all day. Anyone that watched um, the late game, I mean, I was still stuck in the car park at Wrexham, but anyone that saw Match of the Day as well um, would have seen Curtis Jones getting sent off for an identical or very, very similar challenge. Um, is it high? No, not particularly. But if you go in with the force and the lack of control, as Stu said, on someone's standing foot like that, these days it's a red 100%. And Mark, as you've said, absolutely no chance they overturn that. I doubt if they'll even appeal it. To be honest, I know he said they're going to, but they won't. Yeah, I doubt they can afford the money, to be honest. Um, so I think you mentioned there about how some Wrexham fans think it was, some didn't. I had a little look, and the ones that didn't really see that as a red card tended to be, and I don't want to you know tar everyone with the same bush, but over on the other side of the Atlantic, uh, watching on TV, whereas the ones who'd sort of been around for a little while were saying, well, no, this is a red card in today's football, unfortunately. Uh, so, yeah, it was about 50-50. And normally if a, a red card splits a fan base from the team receiving it, that means you probably can guess that it's deserved. So, Tim, a goal up, a man up, let's keep it tight and win this. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's um, 1-1. Yeah, um, it's it's a, it's a good goal. Um, I felt a little bit disappointed with our defending and, and potentially the goalkeeping at, at the time. Having, having looked back at it, I don't th the thing with an overhead kick is a defender can be perfectly positioned, goal side of the man, touch tight, and you still can't prevent the goal. Um, if it's if it's done well like that was, I mean, it, superb technique from Mullin. Um, you know. It, could um, Conor O'Reardon have got his head in, got in front of the man, possibly? I think he did try to. But I think sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say it's a very good goal. Um, may maybe the keeper was a little bit on the slow side getting down to it, but, you know, it's it's pretty much right in the corner and it's low. And, you know, you've got the element of surprise, the fact that he's actually done an overhead kick as well. It's not like a normal shot where he's facing the goal and you, you know it's coming. So, um, yeah, look, Mullen's an exceptional striker. He's a championship striker playing in League Two. And there were two or three instances where he, he really showed it yesterday, and that was one of them. Um, it was unfortunate, really, to concede that goal because I didn't think up until that point they even looked like they were going to score. Um, but it's those moments of brilliant that you pay your money for. Um, 
and yeah, it was it was a very good goal. He's the he was um, the 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 main player on the pitch that looked like he could comfortably play at a high level. He's way too good for that level. Um, and yes, we could have maybe won the, the initial ball into the box. You know, the header that uh, there was the knockdown. But I think I agree with you. You haven't watched it back. Sometimes you just have to. Hold. He was marked. In fact, I think there was two defenders on Mullin, and and sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say it's a good goal. Oh, Offords in the perfect place. His goal side touch tight. That's exactly where he should be. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing with an overhead kick. The defender can be perfectly placed and still not do anything about it. I actually labelled. This is for the uh, the older listener. I said to Tim, he's the he's the new Gary Bennett. He's the twenty twenty three Gary Bennett. He's um. He's a pain in the arse. He works incredibly hard. He knows where the net is. I absolutely hate him, but you would love him if he was playing for your club. I think they've got a few of them players, to be fair. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I was just going to say on that goal, um, I I don't want to get nitpicky about um, refereeing decisions or anything, because I think both both teams benefited from a few calls, I'll say. Um, But it looked to me like, I think it was Zach Williams was being fouled in the build-up to it as the ball comes in. There's a player that's just basically climbing all over him. Um, and then, on that, you say, like, like what you said there, is we're playing that really well, actually. We, we, we're shepherding him. He's got his back to the goal. We've, we've both touched tight. There's two defenders there. Um, and I think it was mainly Conor O'Reardon who seemed to be on him yesterday. And I don't think Conor O'Reardon is going to have many tougher days than that in this league, to be fair. Yeah, it's a point I was going to make later, Aaron, in terms of the referee as a whole, because they were fuming, apparently. You know, their commentators and the crowd are fuming with the referee yesterday. I think he got all of the major ones, right? The red card, we've just said, was a red card. The penalty that we're about to come on to, I don't know if your guys are going to disagree, but it's a penalty. And I think, actually, he compensated by that by giving them a few more that probably he shouldn't. I agree. Zach Williams was clearly fouled. The guy, I can't remember who it was, climbed all over him to stop him getting the ball and it allowed Aaron Hayden to come in with a free head to set Mullen up but you know that is the breaks we're playing in League 2 League 2 refs are not the best but that's you know the, the nature of the game let's go on to the penalty Mark um, you have mm-hmm. someone playing for Wrexham who has played 102 times for the Republic of Ireland and the challenge that he made looked like he was making his debut well, let's have it right. It should have been a yellow card, shouldn't it? And he should have been off. He'd just been booked. And, and any any other time, I think the referee's booking him for that. Um, he knew exactly what he was doing. It made me smile when I watched it back because he throws his hands up in innocence and you're like, you really? It was obvious. Um, yeah, I mean, Rio, he was excellent yesterday, by the way. Um, he's starting to look a real threat from the wing. He turned him inside out. And as you say, you know, that's, that's not some... Um, Kid making his debut. That's a well-established pro. He turned him inside out, was fouled, um, penalty all day long, no complaints whatsoever. Um, and then, of course, there's still that worry, I'm not going to lie. I've still got uh, the Port Vale penalty shootout in the back of my mind. And, you know, Chris Long last week went into the um, the corner and you're thinking, what's he going to do? And actually, wasn't the best penalty in the world, I'm going to say it. You know, it was close to the keeper. Um, probably the fact that... Um, that Arthur is so big, it meant that he couldn't get down quick enough. But I didn't appreciate it on the day. But having seen it back from the camera angle, you know, it, it's not in the corner. Um, thankfully, it's just on target and it goes in. But obviously, at that point, I don't care because I'm uh, ecstatic again in the stand. I think that was a bit of uh, 
like here's one for any Wrexham fans because it's an American term, uh, like self scouting, and and it's because we knew from quite a few games last year that sometimes Arthur looks like he struggles to get down low if it's close to him as well a little bit. And uh, and that one was fairly close. I think he gets a hand to it almost. So it was quite close to him and it was really down low. And it just did look like, like you say, he's a big guy. He struggles to get down quite low a little bit. So I'll I'll credit Chris Long. I don't know if he really meant that, but uh, I'll credit him for, for doing that one on purpose. Just to come back to the the, the lack of award for a, of a second yellow for McLean there. Um, of course, it doesn't have to be a foul. You know, normally you expect it if a man goes past a defender and it gets all down. You'd expect, or carved down, I should say, you'd expect a yellow, but it doesn't have to be one. And I think Rio probably, although he was kind of coming inside onto his left foot, probably possibly could have shot. There was a couple of other defenders around and he was maybe coming back away from goal a little bit as well. So, it, it, you know, it wasn't definitely wasn't a clear goal-scoring chance. But in Liebel's interview, he says that the referee or at least the, the referees' teams, were talking about double jeopardy as the reason for not giving a second yellow there. And if that's the case, it's absolutely ridiculous. That That isn't a referee making a mistake or a referee not seeing something. That's a referee failing to understand the rules. A second yellow... Double, the double jeopardy rule does not take into account second yellow cards. That's, double jeopardy is where... A penalty and a red card is too much. So instead of a red card, you give a yellow card for a foul in the box that would normally be a red card. If it's a second yellow, that does not apply whatsoever. So if the referees honestly said he didn't give a second yellow because of double jeopardy, then that's absolute nonsense. Should have been a second yellow and Wrexham should have been down to nine men before half time. And the other thing as well, if you want to be like really generous, I feel like if you don't want to give a yellow for the for the foul itself, the fact that he gets immediately up into the referee's face. I don't know how it's not a second yellow for dissent then. I I think Especially he was a very season. lucky man. Yeah, sorry, yeah. You know, we saw well, Ollie Palmer got booked early for kicking the ball away and then he spent the rest of the game smacking his hands into the turf or, you know, shouting about how everything was unfair. He was useless yesterday. I'm going to say Ollie Palmer, absolute, like biggest disappointment. Well, maybe disappointment's the wrong word because I wanted him to be useless, but he was useless. Um, and how, yeah, McLean and I think, is it Boyle? I think both of those were in the referee's face, in the linesman's face. Um, they'd lost it in terms of control and uh, game management by that point. Zach Williams quite rightly got booked in the second half for dissent um, after the referee had given a foul, which was a foul against him, and he mouthed off and got a yellow card, um, which was no worse than what McLean did at least two or three times in that in that match. Um, so we, he got booked in the first half, then mouthed off at the referee for about 30 seconds, probably should have got another second yellow, then committed the penalty foul, off at the referee again for another 30 seconds. So I don't know how he didn't get sent off. It's ridiculous. The referee knew. Um, I don't know if the iFollow cameras picked it up, but the, he called McLean over with the captain um, and had a real good talk to them, a stern talking to him. And, and I and said to Tim, I assume that that's him saying, you're on your last chance. Like, you, you know, I, I'd like to think he, he said, you should be off. You know, I could have booked you for that and you could be having a bath now. Um because I said to Tim and those around me, I thought they would have taken him off at half time because he was treading such a fine line. I was absolutely 
perplexed when he came out for the second half because I thought one one missed time tackle and you're down to nine. Thankfully, he sort of went out the game after that and then eventually did go off. But I think the referee knew in the back of his mind he bottled one there. Um, and I, I think had he not already sent one off, he would have sent him off for the, the foul for the penalty 100%. One of the issues I've got with our second half performance are that we didn't really put him under the under in the spotlight, really try and get Rio and um, yeah. Tracy to run at him, because I think he'd have he'd have had enough. He'd have either got sent off or he'd have you know he wouldn't have been able to make tackles. All right, let's move on to the second half then, just really quickly. Whilst we're on James McLean, do you reckon anyone's going to say anything to him when he drops his lad off at Reese Heath for training this week, or are we all just gonna we're all gonna move on and pretend it didn't happen? I did notice that after they scored their first goal, he ran straight over to us and gave the old fist pump. So uh, I think he just loves it. Yeah, but he'll be in Grest- he'll be sat in Gresty Road in five years' time watching his little lad play for the first team. But, you know, anyway, second half then, similar to the first goal, um, we've got ahead, we've still got the extra man. Just keep it tight for the first five minutes of the second half. Um, Aaron, it's, it's wishful thinking, isn't it? Yeah, basically, just... Uh... I mean, it looks like we just didn't come out for the start of the second half there because everybody seemed to just drop off a little bit. Um, Mullin seems to just... It's a its a run almost like Mickey's for for our goal because it's almost the same spot as well, except he's got the ball with his feet. He spins past the defender. And, I mean, because we're sort of... Where we were was right sat behind, almost behind the strike there. So at first I was like, it looks to me that... Uh, Davis should get a hand to it. And I still think he, he probably could have, but it is a hell of a strike. And again, it just falls back on the Paul Mullen is too good for this level kind of chat that we've had before. It's a hell of a strike. And I don't know. It's it's unfortunate. The defenders should do better, really, I think is my is where I come down on it. We just fell asleep and let him kind of waltz through a little bit. That that run from from Mullen is top class, by the way. He runs out. Out round the back of Palmer and then back in again. Um, and the the chest layoff from Palmer is is excellent. I know Stu, you didn't rate him. That I thought that was superb. And I think it, it's that just move, hit him, Tim. It's just hit him. Just, <laughs> just bounced off him. Just bounced off him. That that move was the one time where they beat us with a bit a good a good bit of football. You know, they caused us problems, but it was mainly from just crosses into the box. Um, that that was a really, really good move. And it was the one time where they got the better of us. And I think we we largely marshaled them well at the back. And I think that was the one occasion where Offord and um, Arredan probably got caught a little bit flat-footed and didn't track the runs. Um, and Aaron's completely right. That It's a brilliant finish, that, from Mullen. Um, I think, you know, when, you, when your defence gets done, and one of the opposition players gets in like that, you're relying on two things, really, aren't you? You're relying on the May not being good enough to finish it off, especially because it was quite a tight angle. Or the other thing is you're relying on your keeper to bail you out. Um, so we we needed one of them two things to happen to stop the equalising. And unfortunately, Mullins finishes absolutely superb and, and, and Davis isn't good enough to keep it out. Um, and... It actually remind. There's a chance for us right at the end of the game where um, Polichek broke from from one of their their corners and we we counter attacked and it eventually fell to um, to Nevitt and Nevitt was in a very very similar position than um, Mullin was scoring that goal then 
Um, and unfortunately for us, M- Nevitt didn't have the quality that Mullen did to finish it off and he, he dragged his shot wide or he sliced it. Um, so, you, again, like, a bit like the first goal, you've got to hold your hands up and just say that is an absolutely superb finish. I'm going to, um, unsurprisingly, hop off the fence here. Um, I know me and Tim disagree with it, but in, in terms of the build-up um, and the way that the chance was created, I've got no, no disagreement with any of it. It was really top-class play between those two. Um, at the point where he bursts into the box and he's about to shoot, I think the, the goalkeeper, is his position is absolutely perfect, as perfect as it can be. His front post is covered. He's not getting beat there, no matter how well he hits it. But I was in a position in the, the stand where I was almost right behind it. Um, and I'm going to say that it was close enough to the keeper and the keeper got fingertips to it that I think he should be saving it. Whether I'm being harsh, don't know. That's my thought. Um, it is a good finish. I'm, you know, he strikes it well. Um, but I think I'm expecting the keeper to do a bit better. It was really close to him, really, really close to him. As I say, fingertip close to him. Okay, I'm going to save the goalkeeper chat for the 95th minute of this match. Um, But just before we do, after they scored their second, um, there was a chance for them to score almost immediately straight after. Um, If looked by judgment, I'm not sure which one it was for Harvey Davis, manages to get Elliot Lee um, to uh, shot onto the post. Um. I was fearing the worst at that stage, Aaron. I thought the crowd was behind them. They just equalised. I thought, oh, God, we're going to lose this now. Um, I was 100% the same. I think I'd either my head in my hands or I was, as soon as I see it cannon off the bar or the, or the post or whatever it was, I was uh, turned turned away, I think, at one point. I was like, I don't know if I can watch this. It's getting painful now. But, um, yeah, it really did feel like they had the tail between the legs for a, a good a, a bit of a stretch there. And... Um, Luck or judgment, like you say, we seem to weather the storm a bit. I think uh, the the initial parry from the shot isn't good enough from the keeper. Um, but give him credit. I mean, he got up. I don't know how much he knew about it, but he got up and got in the way and obviously deflected it onto, I think it was the bar. Um, you'd have to say that's an unbelievable save, a brilliant save. Um, but he ended up having to make it because of his own um, inability to either catch the ball. Um, I mean, it's wet and it's hit hard, but we've criticised him for that in the past, haven't we? His parries don't always go away from the goal. Like you'd, you'd hope they go back into the danger area and that was the case again yesterday. It wasn't exactly a parry, that was it? It was kind of in the in the midriff. He, he wanted to catch it, but it just had too much on it. Um, wet ball, skiddy day. It was just in and out. Um, yeah, he, he probably should have done better. With the first one, second one was an absolutely superb bit of goalkeeping. After that, Aaron, I'll come to you. Um, crew did seem to weather the storm a bit, and then they had some chances of their own. I'm thinking specifically Joel Taberner's shot, and then CBR from one of the resultant corners, both saved quite well by the man we all know very well. Yeah, so that was uh, especially the I think for the CBR one as well, especially because I felt like he'd kind of been crying out for that opportunity all game and then it, it kind of fell to him a little bit and I thought this is it and and yeah I mean that was uh, that was the Arthur that we sort of remember quite well from towards the end you know if, if we if I like to say if I mentioned kind of 
how we had with the penalty, how we had what we saw from him early on, then towards the end of his time with us, then that was the Arthur that I think we we remembered before he left to go to Austria. I have to make the point just quickly that um, as we were going into the stand, Tim got recognised from this podcast, actually, and was busy signing autographs, whereas I went to um, have a look at the pitch. And Arthur was just happened to be coming in from his warm-up. And he got pelters from the away end. He got all kinds of abuse and booze, and I found that a bit strange. Um, I mean, me personally, I'm disappointed he signed for Wrexham because I think he's better than them. But I've certainly got no animosity. It isn't like he, he put his hand up and said, I want to leave crew in January. It was largely due to his parent club. Um, I didn't clap him yesterday, but I didn't boo him. It was neither in nor there. I didn't feel the need to do either. But I thought some of the uh, stick that he got was, and he got booed at the end as he was coming off as well. And I think, um, I don't know, for me personally, I think that was a little bit out of order. As Mark referenced, I was approached yesterday before the game by two lads who came over and said that they very much enjoyed the podcast. So I would like to give a shout out to uh, to Andy and Rob who uh, made themselves known and uh, said hello. Very much appreciated, lads. Cheers. Have a good one. Okay, let's go on to the third goal then. Uh, Tim, I think that was a sign of why Wrexham have conceded so many this season. They just seemed to want to wrestle with CBR. And whilst they were doing that, they sort of all forgot that there was a football that was supposed to be kicked at the same time, uh, allowing Rio to just to nip in and uh, put it on a plate for Shiloh Tracy. Um, yeah, it was it was such it was such a bizarre bit of football. It was like time stood still, and the only person that was still awake was Rio. Um, and uh, yeah, again, he, he's growing more and more of a threat, isn't he, going forwards? Um, I never would have thought that right midfield would end up being his best role, but it's certainly starting to look like it is. And that was just a brilliant bit of awareness. Um, took it on, and and the ball to Tracy is is absolutely brilliant. And Tracy's an interesting one as well, isn't he? Like he um, he's not been a goal scorer throughout his career. Uh, and there's, there's been a lot of comparisons made with him and Dan Ajay, forwards who we've picked up and we're hoping to develop and maybe improve and, and sell on. I think Ajay was probably a little bit rawer when we got him. Tracy's played a bit more football. He's a bit older, and I think he's probably more of a winger. And less of a less of a striker, but he's never really had that many goals and assists throughout his career. But if he can, I think that's one goal and three assists now in the eight games he's played for us, certainly in the league. If we can, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Lee Bell and Kenny Lunt, they're saying to him day in day out, they want him getting in the six yard box, they want him scoring tap ins as well as creating goals. Um, and if if he can keep doing that. He'll, he'll, we'll have some footballer on our hands because he's a real threat out wide. If he can if he can start creating goals, if he can start getting on the end of them as well, like he did there, um, he, he's going to be a brilliant footballer. I, uh, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or if I just said it loudly to anybody who listened to me, which is what I normally do. Um, but I feel like it was after the first game of the season, even the Mansfield game, it feels like Rio and Tracy down that you know, now obviously we said that they, they kind of switched switch wings a little bit with Tracy yesterday. But when you've got them both playing down that one side of the pitch, we look like it's it's almost um, Pixie and uh, and Don't say it. Don't say it. We're not there yet. Don't say almost, it. Almost, almost. I'll qualify it. But it, it's it's really it's incredible just watching them two go up and down that that side of the pitch, and uh, we we look a real threat from anything. And like you say, for the goal yesterday, it was. 
if if I thought you know we were caught napping for their second, then they must have had like nightcaps on and and get off up to bed because everybody was fast asleep. Just and and Rio waltzed through them all, and it was it was a it was a great bit of play, and I it almost caught me by surprise because I just didn't think that there was any way that he was going to get through everybody there. It was one of them where, as Rio runs through, I'm waiting for the whistle, thinking everybody else is stopped. He's not seeing what's what the game stopped for. It, it seems an appropriate point at, at, right now, as we're talking about um, Tracy scoring, to just give a, a real huge nod to Chris Long and CBR yesterday. I know Long scored the penalty, but the amount of unselfish running that he did yesterday. Um, and CBR, although he didn't win a great deal, he was... Um, he occupied defenders. So from a, when, when you're trying to free Tracy all the time, then CBR and Chris Long are going to need to pull the other defenders out of the way. And they both did that. Um, and CBR, particularly in the last sort of 15 minutes, when we were under pressure as they were, they were uh, really piling into us, he did a really good job of winning free kicks, um, getting himself fouled. Um, and just taking the pressure off. Uh, he's really good at that. He, he obviously knows exactly what he's doing. He gets himself in there, gets his body between defender and football, and then goes down. And 99% of the time, the referee gives a free kick. So um, it's just a nod to them, because they won't get the headlines, but both of them did so much unseen work yesterday that uh, that really benefited the team. I thought CBR won quite a lot of headers up front. <laughs> Okay, last positive from me uh, on this game, really, because the rest of it is uh, is unfortunately not going to be positive. Um, check out what Zach Williams did with the goal celebration for that third. Uh, I mentioned he was like an NFL player in the first. I would suggest he's lost some of the support from Welsh fans or some Welsh fans when he does make that first international appearance based on his reaction to Shiloh Tracy's third goal yesterday. Right, Tim, the third goal. It felt inevitable to me that it was going to happen. Um, is that how it felt to you guys at the stadium? It did, yeah. And I mean, the first thing to say is, I mean, we're in League Two and a League Two team have bought a player with over 50 Premier League goals, to career goals to his name off the bench in League Two, which I think is ridiculous. And actually... With my brothers, we were trying to work out which other Premier League players have scored against Crew, and have scored more than fifth, more than that, more than more Premier League goals than um, than Fletcher has with fifty three. And I think we came up with a list of eight. So if you can think of any of the eight goal scorers who've scored more than fifty Premier League goals and scored against Crew in their career, then um, I'll, I'll I'll give you some thinking time on that one, and then uh, I'll give you the answers at the end of the podcast. Um, but yeah, it's a. Um, it's a floated cross to the back post. This is this isn't a whipped in ball. This is a it's almost a chip um to the back stick. And Fletcher heads it from I mean, let's say two yards out, and I think that's probably pretty generous. That is the goalkeeper's ball every day of the week and twice on a Saturday afternoon in the last minute away at Wrexham. Um he is he has got to come for that. It is an absolute howler. I'm sorry, it is. Um, and I think he knew as well, because as soon as that final whistle had gone, he was straight down the tunnel. Didn't look at the away fans. He didn't acknowledge the away fans. And to be honest, look, he's a kid. He's 18 years old, is he? Um, he's going to make mistakes. And 
not acknowledging the fans there was a mistake. Um, you know, I'd like to see him, if he ever plays for Liverpool, not acknowledge the travelling fans like that. Um, don't think that would go down very well. But I'm sure he'll learn from it, both the howl that he made and not acknowledging the fans. Um, but yeah, it was so disappointing there because, you know, we'd almost done it. Look, I don't want to pile in on him, and I'm not going to either because it's not. He is a kid, and and the reason that Liverpool are willing to to send him out on loan is precisely for that reason. Not that I think he'll ever play for Liverpool, but I, they want him to make those mistakes for us and not them. Um, I'm still when I when I replay the the moment in my mind now, um, I'm still flabbergasted that he didn't come for it. I, you know, when you say it's almost a chip, Tim, it, it's not almost a chip. It is a chip. Um, it's a floated cross to the back post and there's no one in his way. And, you know, I'm sure we've all done it. When a ball goes into the box, you can't help. It's like a, a, a reflex that you, you you just can't do anything about it. Your brain automatically makes your mouth go, keep it. And I did that. I was just waiting for him to step out to his right and just pluck it out the air. What makes it even more confusing is that in recent weeks, I think he's been really good at that. He's been coming off his line and dominating his area and claiming those high balls late in games and taking the pressure off. And, you know, they do that thing that infuriates you when you're losing, where they catch a high ball and then drop onto the floor and lie on it for 10 minutes um, to run the clock down. So I I've, I don't know why he didn't come for it. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the defence aren't sure why he didn't come for it. It was his ball all day. It's a howler from him, but Ryan Cooney's not blameless either because he allows Fletcher to get the wrong side of him. Um, probably, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt again that he's maybe thinking the keeper should come and get it, but he shouldn't be thinking anything like that. He needs to stay to the right side of his man and he, he heads it out and we, we give a corner away. So it's a, a, a combination of two errors, but I think the goalkeeper really should be coming and claiming that. Yeah, um, I got a, a couple of things I was going to say. Um, one is, and I can't take credit for this because it was uh, fellow fellow of this parish, Alex. I caught up with him uh, on the train station on the way home, and he said that he noticed Mickey D was absolutely laying into Harvey uh, after the goal, and even as they were lining up to take the kick off, he was still just just laying into it, which. Possibly is like I say contributed to why Harvey just just stormed off a little bit at the end because he was so upset with himself. I think more than anything, it looked like that to me. Um, I think sorry, Aaron. I think Chris Long did the same after the game. I think he came over and you know did the exact same. So he, you know, he has made a mistake. We are all watching professional men's football, but he is eighteen. Yeah, I suppose you don't want like multiple senior professionals laying into you. That'll be it's not going to do anything for his for his morale, then I guess, but. I don't know. They'll, they'll address it on the training ground, I'm sure. Um, the only other one I'd got, and I feel like, shockingly, Tim's stolen my trivia corner here a little bit. But uh, does anyone on the podcast know who the goalkeeper was the last time we kept a league clean sheet? Is it Dave Richards? It is Dave Richards, yeah. It was last in April, at home to Walsall. I'm just going to slightly disagree with something you've said there. Um, it's not Dave Richards, surprisingly enough. Um I think that that's exactly what he needed yesterday. When we send young players out, one of the things that I've always said on this podcast is that they go and play somewhere in men's football in front of fans where results mean something. And results mean something in League Two. And Harvey Davis needs to realise that. In a 23s game, he's probably going to walk off the pitch and it's never get spoken of again. But it mattered yesterday. It cost us two points. 
Um, and they were right to have a go at him. And I also think that that shows that those two care. Now, I want to see that. Mick, Mickey and Chris Long, both furious that we've dropped two points away at one of the best clubs in the league in terms of squad. So I think it's it's a good thing. Um, and yes, they're lying it out on Monday on the training ground. But, you know, well, welcome to men's football. Welcome to league football. Welcome to football that matters, Harvey. You know, you've got to be doing better. Something I've been sitting on for a little while, actually, with Harvey Davis is um, one of my assistant principals in the school I work in. He is from the Isle of Wight. So naturally, he is a Liverpool supporter. Um, and he came up to me one day and he said, how are you getting on with our goalkeeper? And we had a little chat about Harvey Davis. I said, oh, he's OK. You know, he's working his way up to being a good goalkeeper, I'm sure. And he said something interesting in all of like the stats and mental tests and things that professional players do now. He is the goalkeeper that has the highest self-confidence. So the the ability to bounce back from mistakes that Liverpool have had since Laureus Carrius. So uh, there we go. We can read into that what we want, but apparently his self-confidence is quite high. So he should be able to bounce back in time for Tuesday. Well, that's bizarrely kind of point I was thinking of actually is that, I mean, it was immaterial yesterday because it's almost the last kick, last important kick of the game. But, if at the end of the day they're both berating him, which, like you say, I can understand your reasoning, Mark, but if they're both berating him and then he's in his own head, which perhaps he's not going to be because of what you've just said, Stuart, but if he's in his own, own head a little bit and we can see the fourth, then I don't know. I don't think it does him any favours in that particular moment, but I can see both sides of it. I like I like that little bit of trivia there, Stu. Um, I was like, oh, this sounds promising, this sounds promising, this sounds promising, and then you mentioned Laurie, Loris Carrius and then... Uh, now you've got me worried that it's done in Kruger effect. Sorry, we have got Tom Booth, and then you know we have also got another goalkeeper out on loan that we can recall. I'm sure, I'm sure there's an option there. The, the Peter Cup game at Vale Park proved to me anyway that Tom Booth's nowhere near ready. Um, you know, we, we, if we put him in on Tuesday and took Harvey out, I think we'd be significantly weaker. I don't think it calls for that. I mean, the reality is none of us know. None of us are Harvey Davis. He might have been walking off sulking that he'd been shouted at. Or well, he might have been walking off because he was disappointed with himself. And deep down, he's thinking, I should have come and claimed it. That's what I took from it. Yeah. Two weeks ago at Wimbledon, we got a draw. Um, and the train journey back was it was brilliant. Felt like we'd won. Yesterday, I drove home and it felt like a defeat. Um, you know, and, and yet the result's the same. It's a draw. We got a point away from home against a good team. It's mad how the same result can evoke different emotions it was a real kick in the, the bitch yesterday and it's just that feeling of what could have been because I think um most crew fans if they're completely honest if you'd said to them at two o'clock you'll three three draw point each and an exciting game we'd have all said yeah okay we'll take that um I certainly would have taken a point away at Wrexham um I don't think many will so you know in the the cold light of a Sunday afternoon it's uh it's a good point but yesterday it it felt like it wasn't. The, the disappointing thing for me isn't necessarily the last-minute goal and and only getting a draw when it looked like a win. The disappointing thing for me was the second-half performance overall. I thought we were brilliant in the first half against 11 men and the game plan worked really, really well. And then it was almost like when they went down to 10 men, not only did it galvanise them, but we seemed to be caught between, well, caught in two minds as to whether to stick to the original game plan or to try and dominate and get on the front foot. And and it was almost like we kind of weren't quite sure how we were supposed to play it. Um, and as the game went on, what I found really 
almost bizarre was it, it it looked like they had the extra man not us not only were they seeming to dominate the ball in the middle of the pitch but they they seemed to have overloads on both sides out wide especially towards the end of that second half um and i just kind of think look i, I don't want to i don't want to stick the boot into lee bell here because i think when all said and done we've gone up against a, a high budget team and got a decent away point but I think there's probably a couple of changes we could have made that could have wrestled back control of that of that second half. And it, it just felt like it got away from us yesterday. Um, and I think there was a few players who probably didn't have a very good game, especially second half. Um, I, I didn't think Powell had his best game, especially in possession. I thought he kept on giving the ball away. Um, and I think if we played that second half again, we'd probably approach it or try and approach it very differently. Just quickly, yeah. Harry, before you jump in, I, I will say that it, it is something that needs looking at, I think, at some point when we come up against 10 men. Because for me, that's the second time this season where sending off seems to have benefited the uh, the side that's had the man sent off more than crew. Um, I was just going to say, I didn't think uh, it was the game for Mateus Holicek off the bench yesterday. I thought the way the game was going, it was crying out for Aaron Rowe. Um, and that is two weeks in a row where I have to be fairly positive about everything Lee Bell's done. I'm not quite sure I'm in 100% agreement with the uh, the subs that he's made last week. It didn't cost us the game in the end, but then this week, I don't know, I may be going too far by saying it did, but, you know, there's that argument. Uh, really, really quickly, before we finish the Wrexham game, um, it's something Mark said about five minutes ago about the, the um, psychology behind football. When crew were rubbish, and I'm thinking specifically a couple of seasons ago, that awful relegation season, it was really easy to discount games. You know, we'd go one nil down. And when we went through that whole spell of not scoring for felt like months, I was like, well, that's it. The game's over then. I felt sick yesterday from about 2.30 to about 5.30 UK time um, because that hope is back. Um, I don't know if it's the same for everyone else, but it's awful. I'm I'm happy it is back because it means we've got a chance of winning games. I do think we've got a chance of doing something in the league this year. Maybe not champions, but I think we'll be up and thereabouts at the end. Um, is that how anyone else is feeling? The, the, the sickness is back and that's a positive, but also it doesn't make for a happy Sunday, a Saturday afternoon. I've noticed it particularly and it was it's exactly what you said like when we went one nil down or we were losing every weekend you just went well that's just another loss and you just shrugged it off a little bit whereas now we didn't even lose yesterday and it it nearly ruined my weekend like it's it is it's that hope's back and the highs are higher and the lows are lower definitely now and if you remember tim i think 10 minutes in maybe i leaned across and said to you i feel a lot more nervous than i thought i would um because the you know it, when you've said and done all, it's two teams playing each other in the top seven or eight of the league. It's a big game. Um, what I will say, you know, just I want to reiterate this point that they've got players that shouldn't be playing in this league. They've got an astronomical budget um, and, a, and a squad that we can only dream of. Um, and let's not forget that. I know they're Wrexham and nobody likes them, but they've spent a ridiculous amount of money. They should really, in theory, walk that league. They should win it out of sight. And a point away and scoring three goals at Wrexham um, is by no means a bad Saturday afternoon. I think if you look at League Two this season, there's probably three teams that stand out, aren't there? You've got Wrexham, Notts County and Stockport. They're the three teams that have, you could sort of lump together in terms of they've all come out of the non-league with massive budgets and made some signings of players that shouldn't be in this division. Um, 
And this is the first one of them we've played. And we've given a good, decent account of ourselves. Good good account first off, decent account overall. And we've got a point um, away. So, I mean, that's the, that's the positive, right? At Boxing Day last year, we went to Stockport and we didn't have a single shot, not one single shot at goal all afternoon. So um, we, we've progressed since then enormously. Okay, that feels like a good place to finish the chat on Wrexham. Next, we'll have a little look at the two games coming up next week. But first, uh, we'll check in with the women's team who are in FA Cup action against Preston North End on Sunday. So, Matt, nice win into the hat for the next round. What are your thoughts on the game? Um, tough to pieces, to be fair. I felt like the girls reacted really well. We, we didn't start last week's game too well, but we ended really positively and on the front foot. And I felt like we took that into to this week's game. Um, we It's one of them rare games where we, we knew very little about the opponent. So we had to kind of learn on the job. And we spoke about intelligence needed in the first 10, 15 minutes to see what they were about and how they played. And I felt like we showed... High levels of intelligence and some real graft. A couple of good goals. and Probably could have got a couple more goals, really. But overall, um, yeah, tough, tough, tough with the performance. So, uh, clean sheet, a solid defensive performance. Uh, two centre-halves had a fantastic game. Yeah, um, clean sheets at our level are, are quite rare. It's not just us. Um, we're at a level where mistakes happen at the end of the day. So, you could have a really positive game and, and win comfortably. But, unfortunately, clean sheets are rare. But, the... The performance, the, sorry, the result today stemmed from a strong defensive performance. The confidence that, that Hannah showed in goals um, oozed out and then and then the back four were just solid. I think they, they had chances, but probably only one one clear-cut chance, in my opinion. Um, and that, that allowed us to then go and play our football, so um, we're, we're, we're chuffed with that. We obviously, FA Cup into the draw for the next round. What are you hoping for? Um, there's probably... Probably no secret that um, the, the the prize money shot up in in the women's FA Cup, and that's a big thing of where we're at in terms of what our expectations are. So we always say the same thing that we would we would like um, home draws. <laughs> we we would like draws where we can approach the game on the front foot. That would be amazing. Um, and then realistically, when we have to have to exit the tournament, then. Um, it would be to a team that our that are super good, and we can go and enjoy and test ourselves against. But if we can get, you know, a home draw um, against someone around our level, we we would be over the moon. But we, we we approach every game like we want to win. We just know that there's there's, there's goals in class in the women's game, and it feels like we've last few years we've we've been paired with the same team, and when um, it's got to a certain stage of the competition, and, and and we've been unfortunate on a couple of occasions. Um, so yeah, hope we home draw. And finally, looking forward, league game next week against Curzon. What are you expecting from them? Um, tough team, tough team. Um, don't score loads of goals, but certainly don't concede them. Um, physical, but in a good way, not 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 um, being disrespectful anyway. Not not saying they're dirty or anything, but they're really physical side, strong. And enjoyed playing against them because it, we we have to think of different ideas to score. I think if we get in their face and try and beat them athletically, and that it, it won't be that type of game. We need to be clever. We need to create gaps in their back four, which is easier said than done. Um, but as a coach, that, that's what we want. We want we want different challenges, and then our job uh, is leading up to the game, uh, and we can give the players scenarios and options how to combat the challenges, and then come match day, our job's done, and, it, and it's down to the players really. So 
Um, hope, hopefully, a strong performance and three points and keep keep this good run going. Nice one, Matt. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Okay, Tim, I'm going to start with you because when we ended the Wrexham chat, you said there's three teams, Stockport, Notts County and Wrexham being three of the big spenders, the big uh, clubs in League Two. I would argue there might be a fourth in that and that is the team we're playing on Tuesday night in Gillingham. Um, They've got a bit of money uh, behind them as well and they are doing quite well this year. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I mean, I, I don't think they've got any players like Mullin or Nick Powell or McGoldrick that just shouldn't be playing in League Two. Um, but they did spend a lot of money, especially in January. Um, they signed a couple of fellas off Mansfield and you know a couple of young players off championship clubs. Um, looking at their results, what's, what's remarkable is how tight all their games seem to be. They've, they've lost a couple of games by more than the odd goal, but every other result they've had this season... They've either won by one or they've drawn. Um, I think there might be one other game that they've lost by one. Um, so I think we know what to expect in terms of style of play from Gillingham. They, they probably aren't quite as extreme as they used to be under Hessen Tyler, but it'll be a bit of a dour watch, I expect, certainly from their point of view. Um, we'll have to be very, very switched on from set pieces um, and we'll have to defend very well. And um, but yeah, I, I don't think they're invulnerable, and I, I certainly don't think they're as good as their league position suggests. So if we uh, if we're on it, I think we can beat them. Yeah, Aaron, it's weird, isn't it? They're fourth place after ten games, but they are the joint lowest scorers in the league with only nine goals this season. I've not really seen a stat like that before. I don't think. Yeah, it's bizarre because they're also one of the teams with the zero goal difference, aren't they? Or something like that. I think. Um, it, it's a funny one because obviously going into this weekend's game, we knew Wrexham were a bit like us. They score a lot and then they also concede a lot. So you were going to definitely be getting it on your uh, both teams to score on your bet slips or anything like that. So that was always going to be bang on. Whereas this one feels like it's very different because like like Tim's mentioned and like you've just said there that they they score they seem to do a lot of get a lot of one nils. They seem quite tight at the back, but they're not exactly free scoring. So it's it's going to be interesting to see which of those sort of philosophies wins out, I guess, on, on Tuesday night. Um, it's, it's going to make for an interesting game, I think, definitely. Mark, uh, Crew's attacking flair or Gillingham's resolute defence? Who's going to win out? Well, I expect us to protect our um, home record. Um, when we get to predictions in a minute, I'm not saying that we're going to win, but I don't think we'll lose. I'm just looking now. That's why I'm not paying attention to the screen. Um, because this run of games seems relentless. And I'm I'm just going to make this point because I'm actually quite impressed. When you sit down at the start of the season and you, and you predict the teams that are going to be in and around the top of the league, we've played an awful lot of those, and most of them are. We've played, I'm not going to run through every fixture, but almost. So we've got Mansfield, Swindon, Bradford, MK Dons, Wimbledon, Colchester and Wrexham. Um, we've only lost one game so far this season. We've not played anybody that's in that looks like they're gonna maybe Forest Green are perhaps gonna struggle, but that's a hell of a run of games that I did quite. I don't think I appreciated how difficult that was when I looked at the fixed list at the start of the season. So we're doing all right, you know. If we can get past because Salford haven't started particularly well, 
if we can get past Gillingham on on um, Tuesday night without losing, I mean, a, a win would be superb. But if we can avoid being beaten, then, you know, that's that's a really, really good start. And I would have to say it surpasses all my expectations in August. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'll answer the question that you've just given me in a minute when you ask me for a prediction. Mark, what's the score going to be? 1-1. One, one. Aaron? Uh, I'm going to, I'm remaining positive. I always feel like we can score any time. So I'm going to say 2-1 to us. And Tim? 2-1 crew. Lovely stuff. Okay. I spoke to Eddie to get his perspective on Gillingham's season so far. Hi, Eddie. Welcome back to the podcast. Hiya. <laughs> Uh, thank you for jumping back on uh, again with us this year. Now, I'm going to start by saying it all seems to be going quite well for you guys this season. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, compared with last season when we got to Christmas with um, seven goals and 14 points, um, it's going really well the well. Um, it's a bit odd, though, because obviously people will notice we don't score many goals, don't let many goals in. And there's a bit of grumbling in terms of from some fans in terms of maybe not making the most of some of the talent we've got in the squad because we've completely rebuilt the squad. Um, but yeah, obviously, it's a lot better than being bottom of the league. Um, however, you know, there are problems when we play teams that park the bus um, and also taking chances. Yeah, let's go on to that now then, since you've mentioned it. You are currently fourth in the table. Uh, you've scored nine goals, which is the joint lowest in the league alongside Harrogate. Um, you've only conceded nine as well, which means your goal difference is currently zero. Um, are you more then in the side of uh, a, this is a concern or are you more of the side of this is how good our defence is or how well we set up to, to stop other teams attacking? I think it's a three-way thing. So our defence is very good. So that is our best part of our team. The second thing is uh, Neil Harris is quite a, a negative defensive manager on occasions. Not always. Um, we're a bit more attacking at home, despite what the statistics show. So away from home, yeah, we can be set up. We won up front, grind it out, get a goal ahead and be quite effective, but not pretty. But at home, it's more of a case of, our strikers can't hit a barn door at the moment. I mean, they're missing hilariously bad chances. Um, like McCauley Bond, he got his first goal for us yesterday. Now, he's a streak player, a confidence player. He came to us without a pre-season. Yeah, and we're gra he's gradually getting into things. Um, also, there's been a couple of injuries to creative players in midfield, so the strikers haven't been getting service. So, Jeffries is a really key component for pace in, in quite a stodgy midfield in terms of pace. So he bombs forward, he breaks lines, he was out injured. And then Lapsley, who's a Mansfield, and, and we, we've now found the right place to play him and then he got injured. Um, so um, there's a little bit of that as well. We're not trying to only win 1-0, um, you know. <laughs> OK, Eddie, you just talked about, about some of the new players that Gillingham have been uh, bringing in over the last... Let's say 12 months, maybe slightly less, uh, the January window and then the summer. There's a bit of money behind Gillingham now, isn't there? But I don't feel like there's quite the same limelight as Notts County, Stockport, Wrexham. 
is that suiting you? Is that are you happy with that? That's uh, that suits us. We we've been bought by the two Americans, the Gallantons, and they have reinvigorated the club, um, made it feel like our club again. They say and do all the right things. They've put quite a lot of money in, and we've virtually built bought a new squad because the, the other one was non-league. Um, it hasn't all completely clicked, but second half of last season we got forty-one points in twenty-three games which is what saved us. But also, you know, that's almost playoff form, just second half of last season. Um, they're, they're reversing one by one every single mad decision Paul Scully made on and off the pitch. Um, and so the club is a happier, brighter, more inclusive place. It, a lot of people just, just say, I've got my club back um, on and off the pitch because it was... It was hopeless off the pitch. You you were turning up at games to fulfil the fixture as a person. It really was that grim. I've never I've been going forty five years. I've never known anything like it. And and now people are mostly enjoying most of it. We've had we've had the odd off day like last week against Doncaster. Doncaster are very poor. They play out from the back. They think they're Donc they think they're Barcelona, but they're not good enough to do that. And so if we'd really properly pressurised them, we'd have won the ball back and should have should have put our chances away as well anyway. I and mean, we contrived to lose that. Um, so, you know, if, you, if, if you're that careless too often, then you're obviously not going to get anywhere. Um, and Grimsby away wasn't great either. But apart from those two, we've been OK. Um, but... It's it's just like yesterday was probably arguably one of our best performances of the season, and we're one 0 up. The whole grounds, you know, bathed in sunshine, in a vibrant mood, and then we we commit a foul near the halfway line, and the referee um it is a it is a, a card, yellow card. So play is stopped. He um pulls out his card, beckons the player towards him. And then Mansfield take a free, quick free kick whilst he's still got the card in his hand and hasn't blown his whistle, and they make it one all. And we're having that sort of luck as well at the moment. I mean, incredible error regarding the laws by the the referee. But um, fair play to Mansfield; they were good in the second half. But that sort of took the wind out of our sails. Um, so anyway. <laughs> okay, Eddie, you mentioned a few players already. Who should Crew fans be looking out for? on Tuesday night, who really makes you guys tick? Well, it, it depends a little bit on whether we go very defensive or very, very, very defensive. Because looking at the fact you've scored so many goals, you, I was you're scoring for fun. And if you score more than two, you, you if you score two, sorry, you will beat us. And you've only not scored two once. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think we're probably... Go with one up front, which I wouldn't. I'd rather have two up front um, because Macaulay Bond, I think, needs a partner. Um, Jeffries in midfield is the one who runs past people and can make things happen, and and, and also Lapsley. But it it's more our strength is the defence. Um, so Turner's been in in good form, and Ogie at the back um, has been an absolute powerhouse. So. <laughs> it, it depends on how the game pans out because obviously if you, you you score a couple of goals we'll just have to open up the only thing I would say is Gillingham tend to play better this season against sides that let us play so we have terrible trouble 
with teams that park the bus like Harrogate and whatever. But when like Mansfield let us play, and it was a much it was a pretty high quality game for League Two. I've got to say, as a neutral, I think you'd have found it pretty entertaining. Okay, Eddie. Uh, last couple of questions. Then I'll ask them at the same time. Uh, what's the score going to be on Tuesday? And is this the season that Gillingham go back up to League One? Right. First up, I think like last season, I predicted a very dull one all draw. This time, I'm going to predict an entertaining one all draw. <laughs> As for going up, I think if if it was last season, because I think last year was was not a high quality year for League Two. Um, I think we would have probably realistically maybe could have got third last year in it, not a vintage year. This year is probably the strongest league Sue has been in like 20 years. And so apart from Wrexham and Notts County, you've also teams like Stockport and everyone and us with money. And, and so we were talking about that on the way home yesterday. And, you know, we, we predict that we will get in the top seven, but not go up. Is was our prediction because we don't score enough goals and Neil Harris isn't adventurous enough with the talent we have. So, but he'll be good enough to not get sacked till at the end of the season. Is my prediction. Great, great stuff. Thank you, Eddie. Um, thank you so much for your time. Okay, all right, and um, well, good luck. You know, in one way after you've played us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Tim, I'm going to start with you. Yesterday, when you were sat in the famous North Welsh weather, I bet you would give anything to be sat in the uh, Salford away end last season where there was, it was so hot they were charging for water. Uh, they are a uh, game on Saturday away at their place again. Um, they're not doing so well this year. They are fifth bottom, uh, not really where they would expect to be. Yeah, I, I had them finishing in the playoffs, I think, when I did my 1-24s at the start of the season. I think Crawley aside, who I thought would be at the bottom and are right up there, they're probably the biggest surprise for me this season. Um, I think I'm the only thing that I'm more surprised by about Salford, other than their league position, is that they haven't sat the manager yet. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone before we play them on Saturday. I don't know who they've got Tuesday, but if they get beat again on Tuesday, it'd be no surprise to me if he's gone by Wednesday morning. Um, with their budget, with the players they've got, they should be top six at a bare minimum. So the fact that they've lost six games this season and right down the bottom is ridiculous. Um, I thought they were really good when we played them last season, no man away. Um, so the fact that he's not managing to get a tune out of their team with the players they've got is ridiculous. And... Um, yeah, let's hope it can continue Saturday. Let's hope they suddenly don't uh, find a performance from nowhere. They've got Sutton away on Tuesday, so you might well be right if they lose that. But knowing how that horrible club operates, they're probably chatting to the next manager now um, and getting everything in place before they sack the current one. Um, I never want to be at a football ground ever again that was as hot as their last season, Stu. It was vile. Um it was a bit of a false result, I think, because obviously it was ridiculously hot and we were down to 10 men after about 20 minutes when Vasala Sambu got sent off. And they also had, uh, we, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about players who are too good for this league. They also had a player who was too good for this league in uh, Brandon thomas Asante, who just ran Absolutely. the show, didn't he? And he, he left, didn't he, not long after that and went to West Brom. Um, I, I looked, they've had a horrible start to the season. They beat Newport yesterday, um, but we've beat Newport, so it's, you know, it's hard to judge. Um, 
but they were at home and there was like a, a handful of people behind the goal. I just don't like that club. They're a weird club. Um, I'm going to go because it's not very far away um, and it won't be as hot as last year. But I, I certainly think that's one that we should be looking to to get an away win at a point as an absolute bare minimum. Aaron, this feels like the easy question of the week. Um, would you take a repeat of last season's home game? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just one of them as well. Like you say, you think they like like Tim mentioned and stuff. It's funny because we talk about teams that have obviously got money, and they're another one who've obviously got the money as well behind them, and they've got some really good players. But for whatever reason, they're not seem to be putting it together. Maybe they started to on Saturday. We'll see. But um, I I do I, I'm going as well, uh, and I do fancy our chances there. All right, I'll stick with you then. Uh, score? Um, so I'll let, let's say uh, six points in the week, and I'll go with three-one win. Wow, Mark. I absolutely don't want a repeat of last season's home win. One of these games that recent that, that have been taking place recently, I'm going to have a stroke. I think my blood pressure can't cope. Um, I'd like a, a nice, straightforward two-nil away win with no drama. And Tim, there's about as much chance of that game on Saturday finishing 2-0 to career as there is of the NFL game that's happening on the Sunday afterwards at Tottenham that I'm going to. Three all again. Oh. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I spoke to Dave to get his perspective on Salford's start to the season. Hi, Dave. Welcome back to the podcast. No problem. Now, uh, we'll start with the, the season so far. We're only 10 games into this season. So, you know, at this stage, it's difficult to assess how it's all going to end. But would I be right in assuming that Salford fans didn't see themselves being 20th at this stage? No, we, we thought with a little bit of improvement, we could make the automatic uh, promotion. Um, look, and when we saw the fixtures, we thought, blimey, by October, you know, we'd definitely be up there because we, you know, apart from Knox County, wasn't anybody uh, who predicted to be in the top seven. Um, but we've had a horrendous injuries. I mean, we've had two players been sidelined with appendicitis. I mean, when does that happen? So, yeah, it's just disappointing is the word, yes. I could use more unpleasant terms, but that, that'll do for now. So yesterday, Saturday, we're recording this Sunday, um, you saw Salford end that current losing streak with a win over Newport, 2-1 at home. What did you see that was different this time? Um, well, we've got 167 days without a home league win. So eventually, something had to give. Um, and Newport are not in you know, in a great shape themselves and their fans weren't expecting too much. Um, and for once, you know, we won the arm wrestle and had a bit of luck, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a great, uh, great show, to be fair. We only just snatched it. They had a goal disallowed. It could have easily been, you know, another, another disappointing home game. So uh, it was hardly dancing in the streets and sort of last night. If I can uh, turn our attention to last season, I think the 4-3 game at Gresty Road was probably my favourite game of last year. Mm -hmm. uh, during that game, I was really impressed with Callum Hendry. Um, I see he scored three times this season. He's second behind Matt Smith, who's on five. Are they yeah. the players we want to be looking out for, or are there others that uh, are important to this Salford team? 
well, alas, Henry is crocked for two months. And he's had the same season he had last year. He plays brilliant for one game. Those three games all came in at Tranmere away. Um, he has temper, anger issues. He got injured by flying into a, a tackle in the opponent's de uh, defensive area. There was nothing on, really. He, he just loses his head from time to time. He gets wound up. He's definitely the most skillful player we have. But um, making best use of him and... No doubt, if Stockport signed him, he'd be scoring a goal a game because that's the way it works, apparently. Yeah, no, the players, the, play, the players to watch at the moment, I would think, what is, is the player with our hopes are rested in? I mean, he was he, he was sidelined for two months. You know, he's just come back, so he's only found his way back. So he's not on top form. Uh, Luke Bolton had a very good first season for us last year, but um, has not hit the heights so far. And the 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 one we put in some hope in is Kelly N. Mai, who played a full game yesterday. He's only a young kid. Uh, he went to my school, so there we are. Uh, so he's one of our own. And he's he actually shows some determination and energy, which sometimes lacking in the uh, more seasoned professionals. OK, if we turn our attention to the manager then, uh, it's still Neil Wood. Um, I would imagine Salford being an ambitious club, like I said, 20th place at the moment. Is he under a bit of pressure, do you feel? Oh, yes, he certainly is. But he is the uh, owner's pet. So he's been given far more tolerance than any other manager. Um, and it's a bit like Napoleon said about a new general. Is he lucky? And he ain't. You know, having seven players out, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, simply made a paper mache. Uh, you know, we had McElhenney. Uh, LaSalle, Shepard, Garbert, this young uh, player who spent a lot of money on from Colchester, Asama Ashley, has got a heart problem. You know, we've had no luck at all. It's been wretched. So, you know, we, we, we'd be pleased to avoid relegation corners with the way it's going because the form has been relegation standard. I mean, we always had the Indian sign over uh, Harrogate. They'd never beat us. And they played like Brazil for the first half hour last week. And, uh, you know, we, we should have should have got a draw. But, you know, we let it go in the last minute. A guy, guy from Rochdale hadn't scored in 25 games, finished off for him. But that's been the way it's going. It's just... But we were brilliant in the Carabao Cup for a while. It's been the only thing that's only shining light that we've had. Uh, so it's been it's been tough. But eventually it'll turn around. But not enough to... Uh, to uh, worry, worry the promotion horses, I'm afraid. So a win at Wrexham would be nice. OK, Dave, I'm going to end this on what potentially might be a bit of a downer then, listening to your um, your questions, well, your answers so far. Um, what's the score going to be on Saturday between Crewe and Salford? And where's the season going to end up for you guys? Well, we don't score many, but we don't concede many. Um, and we know you're um, fantastic at either starting well and... <laughs> You know, you don't put don't need to put in the full ninety minutes. Um, I expect it to be competitive, but I can you know, I can see that Lund or someone will get sent off. So I would be very happy with a draw, obviously. And the season? Who knows? I mean, the transfer window is going to be important. We we, we were worried at the start of the season that the squad the squad was thin, and that's been proved out. We had we played six uh, teenagers this season. That's how bad it's been. So really need some serious looking at the uh, transfer window just just to keep the ship on, on a level term. If we get our full 
14 players fit who Neil Wood relies on. You know, we, we can compete with most teams in this division. That's not a problem. But A, they need to be fit and B, they need to be focused. And uh, it's not happened. So, God, we bite your hand off for seventh place again, but I can't see it. All right, Dave. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for inviting me and have a good season. Okay, Tim, I think it's the time we've all been waiting for. Um, we'll go back to your quiz. Aaron, Mark, have you had a chance to have a think about any of the answers? So the only one I came up with is uh, Darren Bent. Yeah, scored yeah. against us for Ipswich 2002-2003 and got 105 Premier League goals. Good, good one. The one that jumped into my mind at the time was Mr Crouch. Yeah, Um Scored against us for QPR 2000-2001, 108 Premier League goals. Good answer. Stu? I haven't had any thinking time. Uh, the one I really don't want it to be is Lee Hughes. Yeah, I don't think he actually scored any Premier League goals. Okay, that's good. Um, Kevin Phillips? Yes, scored against us for Sunderland 97-98 and 92 Premier League goals. Uh, Louis Sahar. Yeah, another good one. Yeah, uh, scored against us opening day of the season, 2000, 2001. You really don't Fulham. waste your Saturday nights, do you, Mark? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Um, Teddy Sheringham. Yes, 2004-2005 West Ham, 146 Premier League goals. There's three more that I've got. It's not an exhaustive list. I mean, Teddy... I don't really want to fill the podcast with thinking time, so uh, <laughs> it's not really All great right. for the format. Any any other answers? Not from me. No. No, I'll um Tim sent me the answers about ten minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> the, the look of the confusion last... on your faces though was brilliant. Like, how does he know these? Crouch was the only genuine one that <laughs> So the la- the last three I've got, and as I say, it's not an exhaustive list, but um Jason Newell, Wimbledon, scored fifty-six Premier League goals, scored against us two thousand and one. Niall Quinn, Patrick at Cresty Road for Sunderland and scored 59 Premier League goals. And Kevin Campbell, who scored for Forest in our second season in the Championship and scored 85 Premier League goals ahead of uh, Fletcher in the list. I'll be honest, Mark, if you'd have said you all, I'd have known you'd got the list then. <laughs> I was thinking Niall Quinn, but I thought that was too old, especially as I said uh, Lee Hughes as well. didn't want to age myself too much. Anyway, we'll move on. Okay, um, Tim, I'm going to stick with you. I believe you and Mark had a little conversation on your way out of the ground yesterday. So I to sort of have a, a, a more general chat really quickly before we go today about Crew's assistant manager. Yeah, I know you covered it um, when he was given the job. But um, there's been a number of times, I think, where we've made um, tactical tweaks. And it seems like he's the uh, the power behind the throne to a certain extent. I know it was his idea to move to a, a, a back four against MK Dons that turned that game round. Um, Lee Bell made reference in his interview uh, after the Wrexham game that um, it was the coaching staff that had suggested that he made a tactical tweak that ended up with um, Charlotte Tracy getting in the box on the end of the third goal. Um, And I think just all round, we look very astute tactically at the moment. We look very disciplined and we've got a lot of control in, in games. And I think... There's a good chance, I mean, you know, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but I think there's a good chance that Ryan Dick is um, responsible for a lot of the good work that's going on. So just wanted to give him a shout out, really. I can't really add much to it other than, you know, there's a worry 
when coaches the the stature of Alex Morris leave the club that they're going to leave a um a void that's almost unfillable. But uh, at the moment, it looks like the football club's in really good hands. All right, I think we will finish for this week on that positive note about how you know everything seems quite rosy at the minute. We will be back next week to talk about both games going up this coming week. But until then, Aaron, Mark, Tim, thank you so much for today. Thank Thank you. you. Cheers. Thank you, as ever, for listening. We will be back, like I say, next week. Until then, goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue moon.